I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the rent room Hey listeners Before we dive into this week's podcast I wanted to let you know this is an independent podcast and we're doing this podcast all on our own so we can deliver the content and get the guests that we know will help you with your creative journey. And that means we don't have the financial backing or the marketing and promotional tools that Wondery or iHeartRadio or Gimlet might assist us with. Now, we want to continue giving you game from the Hollywood trenches. So we ask that you help us out. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that review button. Definitely hit that review button and download these episodes. Post links on your social media. Tell everyone you know and support our Patreon for only $1 a month. Find the link at screenwritersrr.com or patreon.com forward slash screenwriters rant room. And if you already are a subscriber, we love you. No, we really do. And we appreciate you listening. So let's get on with the show. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hillier Guest. And you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? 2023. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Yes. You can curse on this show, Uncle Jeff. <laughs> I know. I know. We keep it, we keep it, keep, keep it loose. Keep it loose that. as possible. As loose as possible. It's been, um, it's been a minute since we had you on the show. Yeah. Was it like, Five, six years ago? 2017, I think it was. Yeah, it's been right. a minute. Yeah. It's been a minute. But you've been out of the country for a minute. So right. it's you a don't lot. have no job. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I'm kicking it back. Then there was this little thing of the pandemic. Yes, and, yes. Uh, it's a lot. And then it's I was been a writing lot. this book. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So what's up, Chris? What you been up to, man? Uh, I'm, I'm in the last stages of planning my trip to Italy. Okay. So I just got the last five days to plan. Um, it's 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 a lot. I get too many recommendations. Um, I just have. I'm just like. Juggling. I was about to tell Uncle Jeff to tell you where to go. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, just, it's so it's so crazy. Like you, I've missed. I've, people have been asking me on the strike line. So what are you doing? I was like, ah, I'm working this video game thing, and then I'm going to Italy for like two weeks. Right. They're like, what? Where are you going? I was like, here, here, and they're like, okay, we got places for you. <laughs> Everyone's got places, and I'm just like, um, the one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to like overdo it you know like try to hit everything like i really want to like because I, like, I was like if it's good i'll come back next year you know what the, what the hell mm-hmm. um and then my friend the other day was telling me he was like so so what are you doing what are you, are you bring anything to read i was like yeah i might i mentioned some i shouldn't have i started reading crime and punishment and he was like i'm gonna bring that he's like, going way back and, and, and so he said don't bring that i was like well what should i bring <laughs> you know and he said you should bring talented mr ripley oh Oh, because yeah. it takes place in Italy, in Italy yeah. and I was like, I guess it's a good idea. Yeah. So I ordered it last night. So, so Jeff, he's going to go there and take over somebody. <laughs> well, here's all you need to know about Italy. It's 
it's impossible to have a bad meal. You know, so, I mean, uh, that's up the, or down. Yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been watching that Stanley Tucci thing. That, uh, <laughs> it's just like I'm, I'm writing. You know, what's crazy is that because I'm because I started planning this like a month ago. So I started watching that. And I was like, oh, these places look cool. Mm-hmm. We might be able to get a spot like the you know the reservations you right. know because it was so far out I was able to get like four or five cool places that are reservations out oh, yeah. so I'm excited I'm, I'm I my big thing why I'm going a lot of reasons but I just want to like like step back from the last four or five months and just like and kind of like just take my brain and reset it. What's been happening in the last four or five months? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I've been taking naps in the day and all this. We're stuff. getting our steps in. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I'm, and plus, I remember I was telling you last year when I went to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. when I was on the beach and like, and that horror movie came to me like in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I realized that I hopefully changing your environment. Changing my environment. Yeah, so, something's going to come. Something's just like show up in my head. I'm going to come back and be like, like, hopefully we we'll have a deal, and then I'll be. I'll just be ready to jump in. Uncle yeah. Jeff said it would have been done if he was there. Just so you know, I heard that through the grapevine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, but my last thing is super excited to have Jeff Melvoin yes, on the show tonight. Super, Does he have a new excited. book out or something? He, he has a new book. Uh, for people who don't know. Um, the three of you guys. You know, Jeff has been, uh, he's been a, uh like a good friend to me for the last like decade or so mm-hmm. he's helped me out in, in so many ways um, but he's also just um, I had to talk about you in third person but it's like but <laughs> you know you've been like a um, inspiration I would say in terms of your career how you were generous with people like at the <clears throat> guild what you do you know I think a lot of people don't know the extent of the workload as a showrunner and then after being on two shows and seeing how, how much how weight is on you and then to see how much you do on top of that outside you know like you have that you got your day job you know and now you got this other stuff I just it kind of blows my mind about how but then I realized it's kind of it's there's moments in your book where you talk about it a lot where it's like you know um, in terms of like being the teaching hospital and I feel that mentality that mindset really just rubs off in all the stuff you do and so it's just a delight for me to like talk with you like like in this format you know I mean it was it was and it was good to see you on the strike line a couple months ago or something like that because I didn't know like where you were back in town if you were like I gotta get out of here this is too crazy (laughs) you know but um but yeah he's fishing somewhere I took my my month away (laughs) in in Idaho okay (laughs) so yeah yeah, so 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 let's get into it. Let's, yeah, yeah. Let's so if you guys are grown, let's jump into the show. We got to welcome. I call him Uncle Jeff out of respect because you got to respect on Jeff Melvoin's uh, name and stuff like that. I call you and uh, Glenn is there, Uncle Uncle. By the way, um, <laughs> that's good company to be. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Um, and just like just like Chris, I've known you since 2012, so about a decade or whatever, um, and have really really sat next to you for many, many years and gotten to, I always call it this. I say, you want to get a cheat sheet? Just come hang out with us at the education committee because sometimes you go off on a riff about something that happened on a show and I'm like, y'all don't even know how much game we're getting. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's, 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 I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing I was saying. I, I, I mean, that's like an example of it. It's like, you know, there's so much, of a wealth of knowledge that you have to be able to like um, to say to people and you mm-hmm. tell it in a way that's entertaining that is that is and it's very actionable you know I remember like the I remember you did a 
doing Zoom, during the pandemic, <laughs> you did like a, a Zoom on post production, mm-hmm. right? And it was just you know, and a lot of people haven't even done posts and things, you know. And it's something that they, 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 he would have done a lot because we've done a lot of like short films and things like that. So we understand that process. But I but I still wanted to jump on that because I was like, Jeff's gonna have some gem mm-hmm. that is gonna let you. Get, oh, here's yeah. something I did. And we always looking looking for one thing, like one gem, one you know. And, exactly. and there's usually more than one, but it's yeah, like, but it's right. always something. that's like, okay, this is the it's that slight little tweak. It's that you know, like my friend was like, what you do is like a. Um, with your career, it's like you got to keep being like a uh, like a torpedo. Right. You got to keep making these minor adjustments, minor adjustments. But you got to hear what they are from someone who knows and is steering you the right direction. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, well, so, I do think we, we're all we're all always learning from each other, and yeah, so you know you yeah. can pick up stuff from from anybody, and yeah. uh, and if you can impart something, that's also very rewarding. You know, absolutely. So let's welcome to the show, everybody, Jeff Melvoin. Go out and get his new book, Running the Show, Television from the Inside. It's a great book. Fantastic so, book. You know, um, this book and... the book for, Chris? I was going to say, okay, well, so, well, the book is for anybody who is interested in television. doesn't matter if you're outside or inside. Yeah, it's the executives, moving up. Everybody. Executive, everybody, because you hear these stories, these anecdotes, these, this, this point of view in terms of how to navigate the business. Right. I think a lot of people feel that it's talent, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the great things you talk about in the book is it's more than talent. There's these other things, there's perseverance, <laughs> the luck, the hard work, you know? And um, I think there's like this great James Baldwin quote. It's like I see talent everywhere, you know, and there, and oh, and and, and there's ruins of talent. Mm-hmm. But you got, but just these, these other things: perseverance, luck, discipline. You know that. Uh, I, and I think what's really interesting about the book is you talk about different ways to do things. Like there's, it's not just like, hey, be disciplined. It's like do this. Like here's a thing. Like you mentioned. Um, you know, if you're in school, to go to theater, to take a theater class, you know, and that that helps you so much. I mean, that's something I'm doing right now. Like, I'm I'm directing at the Beverly Hills Playhouse just to get more examples of like um, how to look at scenes, how to talk to actors faster, just just all that. And there was so many great moments in the book that you talk about that. A, a question I have for you is this. You've been doing the show and the program for over a decade now, yeah, right? It's uh, year 19. Year 19. Okay, so almost two, two, almost two years. Yeah, now. I mean, two, two decades, decades, right? right yeah. So why did you decide to write a book now as opposed to like 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, the, the, the first, the obvious thing is I didn't have the time. I mean, I was very actively running shows or pursuing the uh, opportunity to run shows. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that's the first answer. And, but I, I got to say, I started taking notes for this book back in 2013, 2014. It would be the equivalent, um, um, as my wife can tell you, I'm not very organized when it comes to my personal clothes closet. <laughs> but when it comes to the digital realm, I'm very organized. She's just the opposite. I look at her laptop and there's like 400 emails to be answered. I said, how can you live like that? I know, it's hard. It's uh, hard. Uh, but I'm very organized on the, in the digital realm. And so... Um, it would be the equivalent of putting scraps of paper up on a bulletin board. I'd get an idea, I'd write a file, I'd give it a name, and I'd stick it. Right. I'd stick it someplace where I could look at it. And when I got enough, of, when I had enough of those, I began to think about what the organization of a book might look like. And um, I was just looking back at it recently because some friends are interested in writing a book, and I was trying to give them some guidance in terms of how I did this particular one. And man, I mean, there were just I, I used. Um, 
all sorts of different outlining programs originally, and this is going back 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. and just kept pouring things into it, figuring I could sort it out later. And then I started to try to write something uh, a few years back, and I didn't have the right tone of voice. I, I reread it. I thought it was too cute. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think it worked at all. I couldn't mm -hmm. find the right, the right uh, place for it. So, so I think in, in some ways the time found me in more ways than one. Um, I had worked on season three of uh, Killing Eve, working with Suzanne Heathcote, a mm -hmm. terrifically talented British writer. And, uh, uh, and, and He left after. us on the education committee for months and months and yeah. months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I got to say, I left it in the best hands. <laughs> so, I mean, it, uh, uh, like any, I learned this when I was uh, chief coach in soccer for AYSO and Brentwood and the Palisades, that the first thing you got to do when you take over a position of authority in, in a nonprofit is find your successor. And with, <laughs> and with Hilliard, I found my successor. And I thought, okay, I have no qualms about you, stepping away. And uh, it's really rewarding to see how well you're doing with that. Um, but... Uh, I got back from that, uh, and I th now's the time to take another run at it because I, um, I felt that the need, curiously, the need for this information had gotten stronger in the 20 years we've been doing the showrunner program, mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. less uh, pronounced. And, and you mentioned post, and that was one area in particular where this would just be a reflection on the business. 20 years ago, we made the post-production segment of the class optional because I assumed that many people would have spent enough time in oh, post that they that. wouldn't have they would well we used to go we used to make it a field trip we'd actually go to an editing bay mm -hmm. and and have some hands-on experience and, and yeah. talk to editors and watch them work and uh i thought but you know if you'd come up like i had in the old apprenticeship system with several years and you know 60 70 80 hours of tv under your mm -hmm. belt you, you, that would be unnecessary for sure it is now and also another thing is i felt that top-down instruction was going to be the least effective and least used aspect of uh, the pedagogy that we would do in that right. program and things have gone 180 degrees we get people coming in now really terrific writers who have co-executive producer titles mm -hmm. and they say i've never sat down on the edit of an episode if somebody put me in charge of a cut, I wouldn't know what to do. So the, the post-production segment has become extremely top-down and mm -hmm. extremely in demand, and uh, uh, it's just critical. So uh, I noticed this, that, that had been happening, and uh, and I also, I mean, there are a number of competing, uh, or not competing, they're actually complementary interests. Uh, I wanted to get things down while I still remembered them <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and uh, while they were still vivid. Um, hey, Jeff, sorry to interrupt. Was this an extension of your previous book, the, the Writer's Room book that you've written? Only in 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 um, a casual way, okay. uh, yeah. And what happened was John. Because it feels like a, a a perfect, you know. It, it's definitely aspects of it are an expansion of that. Right. But actually, I mean, the real answer would be the showrunner training program was an expansion on that booklet. Okay, and then the book was an expansion on on that plus mm. plus more i hope uh the um, john worth my my great friend who we and i came up together on on remington steel uh he had noticed at the turn of, of the century that um, things were changing and mm -hmm. you remember that uh, the sopranos just came out in 1999 and right, right. but uh even even before that we had noticed that the apprenticeship system that we came under was being uh, eroded mm -hmm. and for a number of reasons and some good reasons there were more opportunities for younger writers they didn't make you go through the cookie cutter mm -hmm. uh, education that a lot of us had had been but but the loss was you weren't getting the apprenticeship you weren't getting the hours you weren't getting the chance to see how things were done yeah. and so John said let's write this um, 
let's write this booklet and uh, it'll take us a year. And we got together some excellent colleagues and everybody was responsible for different sections. And then John and I top edited it. It took five years to do that booklet. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, we, but it was, and then it was during that booklet that I said, why don't we make this into a program for the Writers Guild? And I looked okay. at the DGA and said, you know, they got this great assistant director program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, there's not too many things in common learning to be an assistant director with being a showrunner. Um, but, uh, but the principle that a guild could actually help educate the membership, that was of interest to me. And so I approached John Wells, who was president at the time of the guild, and he agreed and he put me together with Carol Kirshner because mm-hmm. um, we needed a professional director if we were going to do this. And she's um, done a lot of excellent work uh, oh, yeah. in different Still programs. Still one of the best. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she jumped on. And then uh, John McLean, who was the executive director of the guild, he immediately jumped on it. He jumped on it for political reasons because mm-hmm. he was a concerned even back then. This goes back to like 2000, the early 2000s, that that we were going to lose our authority to directors. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's wait, a, wait, we're not still worried about this. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, that was pretty prescient back then. So, exactly. so we said we've got to demonstrate that we're the ones to do this, and we pitched it to a committee of the AMPTP mm. that was led by Les Moonves of mm. all people. And Les, um, Les is a lot of things. He's a very bright executive, mm-hmm. and he recognized that. Everybody was better off if we had educated showrunners right. because shows would run more efficiently, and that means his, his network's going to do better. And so um, they supported it, and the MPTP has funded the uh, uh, the program since its beginning. So every three years, we negotiate with them for a fee that covers um, the staffing and, and the other needs that we have for it. And, uh, and, and I think that the MPTP has always recognized the value of the program once during a negotiation that did not result in a strike, we had a meeting with Carol Lombardini, and she said, um, just want you to know, we look at your program like a garden in a war zone. Wow. Um, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. Wow. I mean, there was a veiled threat there, meaning that yeah. you know we can take away the garden. But it was also kind of a backhanded compliment, saying mm-hmm. we recognize the value of it. And it's interesting, before we went on strike, one of the few things that got settled was the uh, the budget for the next three years for the showrunner training program? Oh, awesome. So awesome. so awesome. so that got settled. But but anyway, I got back from from England and uh, I felt it was kind of now or never, and began to look at those notes again and uh, uh, and began to write and and finding the voice for it was really interesting because you know those we write scripts we know that we need to adapt a certain point of view and a mm-hmm. voice for each tone, of our characters. Tone, tone is everything yeah. and. And I thought, well, this is just me, you know, I'm going to, that, that won't be a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just, and, you know, there's 12 different yous, you know, living it simultaneously. And, uh, um, and, and so which voice are you going to use and how do you hone that voice? Um, I hadn't recognized how, how um, critical a decision that was and, and how that takes some time to find. And once I found it, uh, which is pretty much the voice that I take when I'm talking to members of the showrunner training program or teaching, I teach at USC's Peter Stark program right now and I do a lot of seminars and thought that's the tone. Um, and as a friend of mine said who read his, he said, you know, this is like the tone that you take when you write me a letter. And I said, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that, and, yeah. and that is kind of the tone I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be... Um, in the second person, a lot of it talking directly to the reader. Right. Uh, I wanted to be very ca- not casual. I wanted to, f- but feel very natural and uh, uh, and conversational in that sense. It's humorous. It's light. I mean, it's got a lot of whimsy in it too. At the same time, well, yeah. that's the thing I was telling you when you were uh, before you got here is that um, 
because I know you and I know how you talk and how you deliver lines and the little punch. I hear that when I'm reading it. So it's very much like, oh, he's talking to me. Like it sounds like it sounds like I'm having a conversation with you, which I think is really, really hard to do. And I've only read like two books, this book and another book of people that I know very well who in terms of how they speak. And it's like right there. And and it's it's interesting to read it because a lot of times when you read a book, you hear your own voice in the book. Mm -hmm. But I hear your voice when I read this, which is really interesting, at least for me, because I feel like I'm having, like I said, this dialogue with you, you know, and I'm like, oh, is he answering this question? question." And then you answer it like a few paragraphs later. I'm like, okay, I need to ask him that. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, so it's, um, so. so And and, and one important thing to answer your question in terms of why now and not 10 years earlier also, I could not have been comfortable sitting in an office, at my own office, writing a book ten years ago. I mean, <laughs> I, one of the things I love, one of the things I love about the work we do, is that you, you get to you, you get to gravitate between being a loner in your office and right. being very gregarious. And uh, I like that. Once I had my handwriting analyzed, this was before I came into the business, and somebody was really puzzled and said, "I don't get it. Either you're one of the most gregarious people I have ever met, or you're a hermit." And <laughs> and, and and later I thought about that. I said that defines kind of the showrunner job. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you're with true. a lot of people, and then you go back into your office mm-hmm. and and you do your own work. Um, but but I think both for economic reasons, I couldn't have had the peace of mind to try to write a book. Uh, but uh, but also just being able to sit with myself and saying, yeah, this is. Uh, um, I, I enjoy this, uh, and 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 I can make my. You know, I have the discipline to to sit and. I mean, I've always had the discipline to sit and write, but but to write something like this, I couldn't have done that ten years ago, mm-hmm. and so it was, so the timing was just right in a number of ways for me to do it, and uh, so that kind of explains how I sat I sat down, and then the pandemic hit, so I had no excuse not to do it, right. <laughs> and every excuse to be antisocial for the next stretch, and <laughs> and it, it took me on and off because. We did some traveling in between. It took about eighteen months to get to the first through the first draft. And um, you know, in our business, we talk about page count, script, mm-hmm. you know, one hour script, fifty two pages, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, in publishing, they talk about word count. Mm. And a, and a normal length book is somewhere between seventy eighty thousand mm-hmm. words. My mm-hmm. first draft was two hundred thousand oh words. Oh my god! And I knew it's like War and Peace. <laughs> <type of system. laughs> I knew as I was writing it that I was being repetitive and running on too much and. Uh, um, but I said, get to the end. I'm the type of writer that when I write a script, the first 10 pages get rewritten 20 times oh, before yeah. I get to the next 20 pages. But um, oh, so you, you don't keep you don't move forward. I don't. I don't, I don't write a vomit draft. By okay. large. I mean, I, I have to get that trajectory going the right mm-hmm. way and then I can continue. Okay. And I'm usually working off an outline, but it's still I just keep and 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 then when I finally get in deep into act two. Then I'm then I'm running towards the end, and okay. I don't have to go back. But with the book, you can't do that. I mean, it just it was just too long. So I knew. I said, just get to the end, mm-hmm. just get to the end, and go back. And so then, the skills that I had been able to develop as an editor in an actual editing room helped me with the manuscript. I was able to take my writer's hat off and put on my editor slash reader's hat, mm-hmm. and said, this goes, this goes, this goes. I was merciless, and then I gave it to a good friend of mine who was equally merciless. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and by the time I gave it to my uh, my book agent, it was somewhere around seventy three thousand. Words. Wow! And uh, well, you and, killed every baby in there. <laughs> and then she wrote back to me. It was just a great email, one of the great emails I've ever gotten. Because she's a tough uh, book agent, and she mm-hmm. said, "Your manuscript is exquisite." She said, "I literally have no 
notes for you of any major kind and she said and this is not a shit sandwich because <laughs> i know i mentioned what that <laughs> yeah, is in the book yeah, and, she yeah, said, yeah. and so i thought well good you know i mm-hmm. mean so anyway that that was very rewarding so that's the, the long answer to a short question is, no uh, but, it's, uh, but it's important we, I think, we have the time on yeah, this show yeah, it's important also because i feel like a lot of time i know a lot of people uh self-included who uh, you know people were like um you know, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a novel? You know, there's a comic book I'm doing right now that I originally was a short story. And a few people, at some editors read it and they were like, this is good, but it should be a novella. And I was like, I don't know if I have time to write a, a 25,000 word. What do you, I mean, that's crazy. Right. Um, so, it's, so it's interesting to hear the process and the thinking and what's going on. You know, I mean, like I, I mean, I, I'm looking at Louise just for a second. This is fascinating because how did you choose what positive stories to tell and what negative stories to tell? Because there's, yeah, there, there there's a bunch. There's a, there's a yes. back and forth. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, most people will tell you some negative stuff mm-hmm. or they're afraid to tell you negative stuff. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned the thing with Les Moonves and then right. you mentioned this thing with um, the girl from Buffy, yeah. that story. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, that's. And, and then you got to re. To, and it's a good, it's a good um, comeback. Circle with a, back, circle yeah. back with 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 uh, Leslie Bibb later on. I was like, oh, that's like interesting story. So I'm just curious. To- yeah, and I mean, it was a process of. Uh, putting it all out there at first, you know, throwing the spaghetti up on the wall, mm-hmm. and, and 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 then as you step back, you know, you you want to make it into a Jackson Pollock, so you got to remove some <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, but but I, I the, the the metric I tried to use because the personal section, and the, the book is written in three sections: uh, adventures in the small screen trade, which mm-hmm. is the last forty years of TV through the prism of my own experiences, and and then the, the and then uh, uh, breaking in and then running the show, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it took a while to come down to those divisions, but what I realized was, hey, wait a minute, you know, without being immodest, I've worked in every platform, you know, and that my story traces the history of the last 40 years, particularly yeah. what's happened with, with, with broadcast and, and, uh, and, and with peak TV. So I thought the value to this, because um, it's funny, when, when I first suggested this idea to my agent at CAA a while ago, uh, who ended up not being a part of this particular project, mm-hmm. um, my, my book agent is independent in New York, um, uh, she said, uh, oh, well, she said, this is great, and she put me in touch with the literary division of CAA in New York, and they said, oh, yeah, it's going to be a tell-all, you got to name names, you got to dish people. I said, no, they said, no, you don't understand the book I have in mind. And then I even sent it a, a draft to a friend of mine who's quite a good editor in New York, and she said the same thing, and I thought... I've just got to write this, you know, yeah. uh, they don't, I know what I want it to be and whether it's going to be successful or not, I'm not sure, but I know what it has to be for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when I put those, those chapters together and help cutting it down too, the, the rule I, t- I said, is this going to be instructive to the reader? Mm-hmm. Does this say something about the way the business was and the way it changed? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that, you know, it, that became the spine. And if it didn't satisfy that, I mean, if it was just entertaining, sufficiently entertaining, I might leave it in. Mm-hmm. But but I wasn't there to get even with anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like he's like trying to keep the story moving. A- 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 absolutely, and and it's very much like editing. It was very much like when you're editing a piece of film. Mm-hmm. You say, um, "Yeah, I know the scene goes longer, and I wrote it and it went here, but I just looked at the film, and it wants to end here." Mm. And uh, and you say, "So that's where it's got to end." Right. And 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 when you're writing, you say the same thing. It's got to end here. If there's some important information. 
put it somewhere else you know and uh interesting and so interesting. and so i kept the, uh, and that was the the one section that my friend who blue penciled it before i submitted it to my agent by far the the, the section that he worked on the most was the personal section mm-hmm. and there was one section that i had an anecdote in there that i thought was really important and instructive he said nope sounds like you want to get even with this person i said i don't i just want to tell the truth about what happened and 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 he said nope it's not becoming it 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 doesn't help the reader see that's okay that's, <laughs> that's good because that's good. it's like you know i know from being on my shows and I've only been on two but there's there's so much that goes on that no one knows about and I just was curious I was like okay so in my mind I'm like so Jeff is still he's still working in the business he's not ready to retire I mean you might want to slow down a little bit but you don't want to like like, go give it up and so this is not going to be like that what's that Capote book Other Voices Other other Voices Other other Rooms rooms. it's where it's like it's this this thing where you like you know who he's talking about if you're in it but if you're not in in that society you don't know but but everyone in it was like mad at him Mm -hmm. and I was like I was like he can't do this he can't well you know it's funny I, 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 I didn't I didn't pull any punches for that reason yes you know um the uh, uh not to say you couldn't uh, no but, but <laughs> or i wouldn't you know but 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 that really wasn't a concern and uh it was really just much more does this help the story um i want to propel people through the book and yeah. all things being equal if it's shorter it's better and i remember reading the introduction for example to a book that had been recommended to me a, a good book a, a non-fiction book but I read this woman's introduction I said man this is so long I'm getting bored right. and I went back to my introduction and cut it in half you know Ooh, I said yeah. I, I, I get it you know just mm-hmm. get out and uh, I actually ended up rewriting the introduction like six seven times more mm-hmm. probably uh, because it was a real push-pull right. you know I, th- I mentioned this in the acknowledgments that the, the first critical rear of the manuscript once I felt it was in good shape was a, a good friend of mine who was the head of the history department at Cambridge in England and he's written a dozen books or more and he said i really like what you've written he said but go back and reread your introduction i don't think it describes the book that you've written mm-hmm. and or that you're writing i was still in the process of writing it mm-hmm. and i thought okay it's like having know, the wrong log, log line or something yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, but but you know it's a push and a pull right. and um uh and so i felt instinctively i knew what i wanted to do but i couldn't always articulate it and so mm-hmm. it was helping me articulate what it was i was i was trying to do but uh, another thing about the book, too, is that I did not feel, and this isn't being falsely modest, this is just being genuinely <laughs> modest, um, I, I just didn't feel I had the name that I could sell a book based on my name. Like most of the shows that I mentioned, I, di- I didn't create those shows. I right. came on to them. Right. And, you know, for those of us in the business, it's somewhat embarrassing if they say, and Jeff Melman, you know, writer and producer of uh, Northern Exposure. Right. Um, I've learned not to try to explain to people because it gets too complicated mm-hmm. if it's a lay public. But, you know, those of us in the, those of us in the, in the know, you know, we, we know what goes on. And so mm-hmm. uh, I was very... Uh, I was certainly very aware myself that I'm not going to take credit for things that I don't deserve the credit. I'm happy to take credit for the things I do deserve credit for, right. but nobody's going to buy the book because they're going to say, "Oh, it's Sean Ryan, it's J.J. Abrams, it's right. uh, you know, it's Venus Seward, it's it's somebody who." Um, uh, Tanya Siracho, you know, anybody who's actually created shows that's saying, yeah, I love that show and I want to read what that particular person has to say about that show. Um, so to the degree that I have a reputation, it's because I've managed to work on some really good shows and developed right. uh, and keep them on the air in many cases and, and then develop these. Uh, the, the show under training program is a very proud moment Chris, as well. Chris, but, I got to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. It's just funny to hear you say that because to me, and we talked about this recently and I was like, it's a shoe in. It's gonna kill just because it's you, and you're like, 
it's just me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you are, because you are Jeff Malvoyant to us. You are Venus Edge. You are all those things and more because you know how to teach it. You know how to educate it. You know how to do all, not that they don't, but you know what I mean? But you're known for that, for at least with all of us. Right. I mean, I'm talking about the lay public and what yeah. I could trade on. So, I mean, I think that, that uh, again, it, it's what's in the book is not just because it happened to me, but because I think it's instructive. And mm-hmm. uh, even beginning with that first chapter about how I got that first job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's great. It's a great story. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting on this level because... And this is and this is something that I want to ask as a broader question too. But it's like the difference between reading something like from you as opposed to like Sean Ryan is is that, and it's sort of like what we talk about in terms of like the Script Notes podcast. You know, Sean's had a career that's like it's envious of everybody, right? Yeah. And it's like not many people are going to have that career. Not many people are going to have that type of pathway. So it's like, and that to me is like it's a little disingenuous. It's about about like what it's like to work in Hollywood, you know. And I think that for 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 eighty to ninety percent of the people, what you have to say is more valuable because they're not going to be in that position of creating their show. And I mean, I think the thing that's fascinating for you in terms of like is is this a larger question about the institutional knowledge of working in television and for you to come into a show that you didn't sell and then to keep it on the air for a lot of time and, and whether I mean that takes a skill it takes a skill and there's yeah. so much of like that you have that you're you're that you're very honest in the book about like I got this going and it didn't work or it did work or we made it work or I'm struggling with this and it's like that's what happens to, so I mean if you come in as a writer on a show it's not your show it's, I mean that's how it feels like mm-hmm. uh, you know how do I keep this going you know like for me when I came in the Equalizer it's season three right I'm not there to I, I'm, there's nothing that like I can do to help shift to change the direction of the show so we just gotta keep it going mm-hmm. and there's a and there's a mindset you gotta have to do that because you can't come in there and say I'm this great writer I have you know it's all in your head too it's like I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z blah blah blah, blah and the show <laughs> won't me do it fuck him you know like like, like, like that's rolling in your head and it's like you no know, that's not the business that's and I think there's so much not knowing what the business really is for most people. I mean, that story you told about the thing in Amazon, the Shane Black yes. Edge, is just like you know. And I was like, now I, I was like, I know there's more stories than this. I have started. I, I, I have so many, I, I have an idea for a follow up book called. Uh, um, uh, notes from the cutting room floor uh, because <laughs> it would be the stuff that didn't make it, but it it uh, um, and and I and I may put that kind of stuff together, but um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it's it's but it, I find that that being honest, I, I saw this in the Shoner training program, and I see it every year. Is that we bring in people like Sean, who's a wonderful instructor, mm-hmm. and. Um, and the people in the class who are all outstanding writer-producers on their way up, uh, they're fascinated by the mistakes and, and the errors that, uh, uh, and, the, and the, the mishaps that have happened to the, to the really successful people that come in. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of the lesson there is that, it, it, hey, it happened to them and they got up and they continued. You know, they, they, they moved on. N- nobody gets, you know, gets through unscathed. And, and I think if you're a showrunner and, and, uh, and you don't make a mistake every day in some capacity or there isn't something you could have done better, you're not being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You right. know? And so it's just like the, the two analogies 
analogy I use all the time in this business are sports in the military. And so, like sports, if you're a goalkeeper in soccer or in hockey, if you're thinking about the one that just got past you, you can't keep playing. Right. You you got to have the mentality to say, okay, we'll get the next one. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was taught baseball by a neighbor who was uh, kind of my idol. He was like six, seven years older. By the way, Jeff can talk baseball all day, but <laughs> but but, but uh, and 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 he he gave me the expression, and it's not original to him, but I forget who said it. Which is, you know, you win some, you lose some, and some days you get rained out, but mm-hmm. you dress for every game, and uh, and and that was the attitude he inculcated. Yeah, that's in perfect, me. and that's yeah. you know, and and that's the thing about television, at least the way I was brought up in it, as opposed to film, that was so great is that you you had a chance to come back to the plate. Right. You know, okay, you struck out. But you're going to get up again if the team can stay alive and stay mm-hmm. in the game, you know. So um, I, I think that's uh, um, that's an important aspect of, of of what we do. Let me let me ask you, Jeff. So I like how you started the book, you know, with the Remington Steel story, right? You're in. Like, here's how I got in, right? And then so you have it in these chapters. So you have your what do you see? Have in three parts, right? Right. It is very um, um, linear. Right, which I think is important. Sometimes books jump a little too much, and you're like, "Wait a minute, where did where right. did we go?" Right. So I think that's what also helped you. It, it kept it so easy to read because you knew where we were within this world, within this time frame. Because you're like, during this time, this is how it worked. Right. <laughs> right. Pay attention. Pay attention. I know what you heard now, but <laughs> right. Because I, I mean, I felt I felt very strongly when I started to make notes on the book, and and, and it's not quite as strong a belief today for me although I still believe it, is that broadcast is the genome from which all other forms of TV right. um, have sprung. And um, part, of the, part of the risk of what we're going through is that people will forget where TV came from. Right. And so there is that part of institutional knowledge that I hope it passed on. I've always been interested in what the history of the, of the medium is. And curiously, um, it's largely anecdotal and lost to the mists of time. If people... Right. I learned from the writers in front of me and when I was talking to them about uh, where they came from, uh, what they did. You know, I said, oh, well, I would write a Gomer Pyle and then I'd write an I Spy and then I'd mm-hmm. write a Bonanza and then I, I thought, oh my God, you know, what, what a different world that was. But you're not going to find that anywhere. Right. No. It written down. And, and when academics get involved, I don't think it's a subject that lends itself to academia very easily because mm-hmm. it's so fluid, which is why the first line of the introduction is if all politics is local, all television <laughs> is personal. Because exactly. uh, I just don't th- I, that, and that's why I took the approach I did. I just don't think there's any other way to get to the heart of the matter. No, no. I mean, I mean, that's the thing that is, you know, like I love the it's weird. It's like I love the history of everything, how things get to where they are, because invariably people are, you know, people want comps of something. What's this, this and this? And it's like it means you got to know, like, something back, you know, not just the last three to four years, you know. And I think also that, you know, like, like even now. You know, like every, you know, like Suits is having this this resurgence yeah. back on thing, and it's mm-hmm. like, how, and I'm like, how did people forget about Suits? Like that was like one of my favorite shows for mm-hmm. like six or seven seasons when I was watching. You know, I was watching when it was airing too. I didn't, I like, I wasn't watching. And I was very like, well written and yeah, great show, great all this kind of stuff. Um, and then someone told me the other day, who someone told me the other day that. Part of it was done here, and I was like, "What? I thought it was I all shot." I thought it was in Canada. I thought it was all shot up in, in um, Toronto. It was, yeah, it was. It was Toronto. I mean, I think for the most part, I, I just had lunch with Aaron Korsh uh, yeah, a couple weeks yeah, ago, yeah. and we were talking about it. Um, but you know, the irony of Suits' success is that because uh, I had a couple things I wanted to ask him about that, and one thing is 
are the writers being compensated and mm. uh, and was he being compensated and the one thing he told me which doesn't necessarily um it's not going to elate members of the guild because we there are a lot of things that we can take netflix to task for but in this particular case said no you know we did get a pretty decent package for selling it and and there was just there was an article in deadline about it too Mm -hmm. uh just recently talking about it and so is it the same thing as getting compensated for success and and how many eyeballs are looking at it no but it, it was not insignificant right but the greater point to me is that Netflix is staying afloat with a show like that that was produced under a system that if Netflix had their way, they'd destroy the means to produce a show and like right. that. Facts. That, 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 is, that is so ironic to mm-hmm. me. So you're maintaining your subscribers by using a very old school approach shoe, a show. And if it was up to you, you'd destroy that old school. And, and they've already destroyed a lot of it. You know? yeah, I mean, because you're absolutely right. I mean, because like, I, the funny thing is, is it is like I had last year I wanted to pitch a show that was like it was it was it was like suits and like burn notice and tone, and my managers were like, "Who's going to want to buy that?" You know, because because USA doesn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Why wouldn't they do it on Netflix?" Because that's like a market need. They're going to have to, you know. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. things are changing. And it was, uh, I was just in Columbia, Missouri, uh, at Stevens College at a conference for something known as the Screenwriting Research Network, mm. and I concluded. Uh, uh, my presentation was saying that there's no way that the streamers are going to avoid advertising. They're going to have to. And then literally an hour later, the announcement comes out that Amazon, Amazon. now has uh, their yeah. tears. Yep. And um, I mean, the, the thought wasn't original to me. I, I read a number of uh, uh, letters, you know, newsletters that we get in the business. And this has been in the smarter people been saying this has got to be the way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And and I, I also, uh, I'm an eternal optimist. I think that if there's going to be contraction, which is there's going to be, and if yeah. it's severe, which I think it's going to be, yeah. there's still going to be a need for an aggregate number of episodes. And if you have fewer shows, it seems to me that we won't get back up to perhaps the same number of episodes we're looking at. But they've got to do longer order series in order to feed the public's uh, appetite for this. So that suggests more of a need for the showrunner because, as I say in the book, volume and pace are hugely important to establishing how clearly. Uh, persuasive the argument for a showrunner is right the, the more episodes done in a quicker time and the more economy is important and disciplined the more you need that that showrunner mm-hmm. but i gotta say there were times i didn't feel this way when i started to write the book but as since it was bought and while i was waiting for it to come out and publishing is a little different than our business it right. took a year between when i actually signed the contract and when the book came out but applause has done a great job of getting it out there um <clears throat> i thought I felt a little bit like the Irish monks copying the Bible, <laughs> uh, trying to keep the, you know the Bible alive by right. by, by being off on their uh, in their monasteries. I thought, well, at least here's the knowledge. You know, <laughs> let's keep the flame and keep it going after the dark ages. We can bring it out again. There are fifteen books, but ten books. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, what are those guys called? They're called. Um, Illuminators, right? The guys who like draw the, the in those Bibles. Like illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, yeah. Manuscript. yeah, I was just watching this movie. I love it. I've seen it maybe a dozen times called um, The Name of the Rose. I've right. never yeah. seen that. It just, it just cooked up last night. I was like, oh, I was seen this forever. But it just reminded me of that. I was like, yeah, this is like that story. It's like there's this knowledge you want to have to understand. I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why I wanted to go to a broadcast show after being a streamer. I felt that there is 
there's a pace to that. There was um, there was the pressure of the pace that I felt was very something that like I wanted to experience. There's a discipline that yeah. comes with that, and it, and it's very instructive. Yeah, you know, I think Goethe said that genius first expresses itself through discipline. And while those of us who came up under that system thought that it could get to be too much uh, conventional, too much mm-hmm. um, of that cookie cutter factory floor approach. There were a lot of benefits to it. And after I had my Amazon experience and went back uh, to uh, Designated Survivor, Survivor. Um, it, it, for, for a while there, I mean, that show had its own um, <laughs> particular brand of hysteria, but uh, working with network executives who knew their business was a real comfort mm. because it is a business and they understood it. And uh, um, and there's a world of difference between saying we have to have our episodes ready to go on the air September 22nd and to a place like Amazon or Apple or Netflix saying, yeah, well, maybe we'll bring it out in September, but we can always push it. We don't have to put it on at all. Yep. We, we've got so much money to burn that we can spend millions, tens of millions of dollars and waste three years of a writer's life. Mm-hmm. And then not put it on the air, Crazy. you know. And so that's that's not healthy for a lot of reasons, but it's certainly not healthy for writers. So, Chris, I I, I definitely agree with the impulse to, uh, or I sympathize with the impulse to work on a broadcast show. In fact, I say it in the book. I said if you have a mind for, if you can, I would never encourage anybody to write something they don't have a feel for. But right. if you have a feel for that sort of thing, if you like procedurals and and, and really dig it, you know you. Man, I mean, there's no better school than. Uh, yeah, well, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was, it was a real. I remember, like, way back in, like, the, you know, like, fourteen, fifteen, so sixteen. I was trying to write those, um, the specs to get into the various fellowship programs, and I was always there was there was a few things that was that was kind of that became a heel for me. Which was like trying to get the character's voice, you know, of the as like as like I and I realized I was like I don't know how to do this this that well, and I knew that when I was jumping onto the Equalizer that I was like, I'm gonna have all these scripts to read, I'm gonna be able to like watch the cuts, um, you know. So by the time I got to my episode, like I had a I I like I had. F- there was something that I wanted to learn to do and I was like here's how I could do it if I'm exposed to it enough because you can only for me when you're watching the episodes of something there's a moment where you're not uh, it's for me, I get caught up in what the show is doing. I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like step away and, and 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 do the analysis, and then it's hard to get scripts from a show that are like the pilot and stuff like that. Yeah. So being on the show, like they gave us like all the previous seasons, and I was like, I'm just going to be reading these. I'm going to read the outlines. I'm going to read the story areas. I'm going to read all these. Just to, just, like, that that is that is the, the best yeah. education. You reverse engineer yeah. these things. Yeah. Get back to the roots. Where's the blueprint? You know, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, and 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 then one of these things that I was like telling people was asking me what's it like and I was like look my goal my goal for my draft on that show was how much do you know do they not have to rewrite me you know because if I can do that then it just makes it easier for them because they got so many the, so many of the balls are juggling you know and I remember when the episode aired I was like oh maybe like 85% of what I wrote, like 85% of what I wrote made that's it great. to screen, you know, but I was like, yeah, but that's like the work that I had to do yeah. leading up to it, you know, it was like, I, I was episode nine, I was like constantly reading and listening, like at night and on the weekend, just to kind of like feel what, because I, I knew it was something that like, I could get over this, I mean, I, I can solve it, because I, I saw how I could solve it on Star Trek, 
I was watching all those things with Picard and I was listening and I was watching and I would go down to the set and that's the thing too is like being out of the set and listen to them Huge. like like figure it out the language of the show and then they would kind of like make changes like well this is how I would say it <laughs> as the character you know I was, right. well you did this for seven seasons right. prior you know 20 years ago but you know this better than anybody does so it was really it was it, so it was just something that I feel like there's a there's a there's something that is lacking I mean it's, I, I, I felt you mentioned something about Apple and Amazon and it's like there's a level that I wonder those executives haven't done a lot of television, and, oh, they, no. I mean, and, they, yeah, and, they, and they also don't do a lot anyway. Because if you're at Apple, you got maybe four shows coming out in a in a in a half a year. I mean, there's, like, there's, there's but here's not, another thing about about what goes on with the streamers is they've divorced performance from compensation. Uh, you know, in other words, the the uh, and I I think that's true at the executive level too. They don't release their numbers, mm-hmm. so they can spend uh, tens of millions of dollars on a project with a name Hollywood director, and then they can buy something like Suits. Right. And they're not going to tell you that the thing that they spend all that money on and got the press for, nobody's watching. Right. Right. Uh, Because it doesn't matter because they keep their subscriber Mm -hmm. numbers up. And it serves them to not let you know who's actually watching things. And same thing with the executives. You know, they can make some ridiculous decisions that affect your show, and they don't have to pay for them right. because there's nothing that tells you how well that show does, or if the show doesn't do well. I'll tell you, they're not going to admit it was their problem. Right. You're going to pay the price for that. And um, as I mentioned in the book, uh, there was a showrunner who came on to the showrunner training program and said she just was talking to an executive at Apple who was her chief executive and said. He admitted that he'd never seen a rough cut before. What? And he's giving her notes. Yeah. I mean, this is in the early days of Apple, but uh, <laughs> they're still early days of Apple. But it it, it, it really is um, appalling. And, and I think that the you, know, you look at the people who have emerged as the uh, leading lights of streaming mm-hmm. from a creative perspective, and they all came out of broadcast, or right. most of them did. Right. You know, David Chase worked on the Rockford Files. You yeah. know, Matt Wyman worked on Becker, a half-hour comedy. Yeah. You know, and uh, and they may have resented some of that, but but they learned a lot of it. And you, right. you can just walk down the list, and and that's where people learned and got the discipline and got the amount of reps, you know, uh, to understand how to get right. better. And um, and if we eliminate that uh, I think uh, we're going to pay the price down the line although again I'm, I'm so concerned that these big companies are so insulated um, it's kind of like uh, the great Gatsby you know Tom and Daisy were careless people they broke things and retreated <laughs> back into their wealth and that's and that's that's the way I feel that these people operate they're just spoiled rotten and they they're not held accountable but they're looking down on us they're not doing well they're not part of show business yes. you know I mean say what you will about the about the networks at their height but they still were in show business and they came out of that you know like all the networks came out of radio and Mm -hmm. those people were all about show business Mm -hmm. and and they knew what it was to entertain and you might disagree with what it is they were putting on there but they knew what the business was yeah yeah Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you look at these like apple and amazon and what they do and you know it's i remember i was reading a Something came up on Twitter the other day where it was like the coverage for Saving Private Ryan. You know? Oh, yeah, and, I saw that. Doing and, it, yeah. and someone, this guy passed on it. You know, he's like, ah, oh, it's it the same story. You haven't seen something like this in 15 mm-hmm. years and blah, blah, blah. And I was like. Another war movie. And, I, like- and I, said to my, I said to myself, okay. And, you know, and I was like, and the thing was crazy. Is, you know how it says in the coverage, it's like pass on script, mm-hmm. pass on a writer. And I was like, two things. I was like, one. So that's 1996 the movie came out. I was like, yeah, but 
he didn't see the big red one, right? Which was maybe 15 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so again, it's like the reader doesn't know the business, doesn't know what's the history of it. And he's thinking about movies in the 40s, obviously, if he's thinking 50 years ago. And then he's passing on the writer, and I was like, but Rodat's script is really well written. I mean, like, I mean, sure, you may not want to do it, but you don't mm-hmm. say no to the writer because he chose a subject you don't feel is exciting. And yeah. I just look at it like sometimes that the executives, like you said, if you haven't seen a rough cut, why do you think that you have the the... I mean, how does your opinion matter, really, if you never right. see it? How, how do you have the moral or creative authority to give notes on something? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because the distinction, one of the things that's happened, and it's, it's of great concern, and I mentioned this at the, towards the end of the book, is there's a convergence now between the old Hollywood studio model in right. which the studio and director, uh, well, the director wasn't even as important as the studio, but there's a convergence of that now with, with television as you get fewer episodes and if you don't really care about schedule and you can throw all sorts of money at it. And... Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it can be alarming as you see people put that stuff together. But I remember, the, 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 well, it's important to remember that the movies since 1948, when the antitrust broke up Paramount and mm-hmm. everybody else, and you couldn't be vertically integrated, the director became the most important element of right. the films traditionally. They were the straw that served the drink. Movies were formed around who was going to direct it. Mm-hmm. And radio and then television had always been a producer's medium. Right. And what happened as the 70s became the 80s is it became a writer-producer's medium. And that's how the showrunner developed the clout and the visibility because we were the ones, once it went down from 39 episodes a year to 22 episodes a year, you could oversee that with a pretty singular vision and get a great staff to work with you and you could make those shows uh, you know, really pop. Did you hear that, Rich? And, 39 episodes. Uh, yeah, and, and mo- <laughs> mostly done... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mostly done with with freelance stuff, but what's happened now is we've as we've shrunk it down is there's the possibility that uh, uh, that you could do it with uh, in a different way. And I remember uh, I was at a function where Matt Damon was talking about the way he would choose a script, and I think this is instructive mm-hmm. uh, for the distinction between film and TV, and also is instructive to where we may be with TV right now. He said when he was younger he would choose his projects exclusively on the script primarily on the script. Experienced on it said, now I'll choose the director. Because he's been in experiences where a good script didn't necessarily mean a great project. And conversely, he'd been in situations where the script initially perhaps wasn't where he thought it should be, but he had confidence in the director and he was happy with the way the film turned out. Now that is dependent on a system in which a director has the ability to work with the, the actor and get other writers to do it and they can finally get a project that they want to work. That's... That's a luxury in terms of the context that they're working in compared to television. In television, um, you know, it, it's on the page. If it's on the page, you're going to try to get it up there on the screen. And you're going to have to do it the way I grew up in the business, 22 times a year. Mm-hmm. So you'd be foolish to say, who's the director? No, the director's there to execute what the showrunner and the staff have been writing. Right. And then the actor can bring something to bear, too. But once you start getting down and... and just as an example, I mean, two, two great projects to I me: mean, Chernobyl and uh, um, and Queen's Gambit. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't. Did Craig direct any of Chernobyl? I no, don't, no, no, no. He this just was that one guy, uh, right. Wrench, uh, Johan Wrench, or something like that. Yeah, right. But but so so actually, Queen's Gambit's the better example because. That was such a brilliant project. Brilliant. But, but was that a TV series, or was that really just an elongated film? Hmm. Um, you know, to me, it, it whatever it was, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it was based on a book mm-hmm. by a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. There had been screenplays written for it mm-hmm. that were somewhat discarded, but also absorbed. But somebody else got 
uh, I think shared credit with Scott ultimately for that. And then he directed it. Mm-hmm. And 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 you could and when you're directing something you know really well. I mean, there's you can lose vision sometimes and things can go awry. But in this case, I think because the bones were so good with the story and what great casting and, mm-hmm. and, and production design and all of that, it was brilliant. But what can we learn from that? You know, what what of that is really television in the sense that, that certainly most of us grew up to understand it? Right. And so it's not, a, it, it, I guess my point here, it's not an either or universe. I, you'd be foolish to decry something like that. It's fabulous. I mean, mm-hmm. that was great. But it's not the only it's not the only way to do things. You know, I look at a show. One of my favorite shows in the last year was um, uh, Extraordinary Attorney Wu, this Korean series Mm -hmm. about an autistic attorney, which was 16 or 17 episodes, which to me was just brilliant. Fresh, brilliant, wonderful, mm. very reminiscent of what the best broadcasting cable shows can do in terms of telling a continuing story uh, that had self-contained episodes. And there's a lesson there. I mm-hmm. mean, it, who, I just find that show miraculous in so many ways. And hold that up as an example to say it can still be done. And that was on Netflix, you know, mm. although it was not made for Netflix. Right. I don't think it was so made in Korea, up, yeah. you know. But um, so... There's hope out there, and like I said, I, I let's let's just keep hope alive. Jeff, you know? <laughs> let me ask you a quick question about you talk about it in the book a little bit, well, a good amount. The difference between what we do here when you're a showrunner and what's going on since you just did like Killing Eve and stuff like that, like what's the difference for you? I mean, the, the principal difference between the United States and everywhere else in the world uh, comes down to this: that it be, because largely of the efforts of our predecessors in the guild and the strength of our guild and the vision of people who came before us, in this country, the writer is perceived in television as both labor and management. Right. And everywhere else in the world, the cultural tradition and very much the infrastructure of how media was developed uh, lead to the, the fact that the writer is perceived and treated as labor only. So in England, for example, uh, they don't talk about showrunners. They talk about the lead writer. And the lead writer uh, is essentially the head of the writer's department, the script department, in the same sense that the head of camera, you know, DP wow. is the head of the yeah, camera the department. Um, it's important, but it's only one of many departments that are important to the creation of the show. And there is an intermediary, there's a position that doesn't exist here that took me a while to understand called yeah. a script editor. And a script editor is the intermediary between the studio and platform. And I get sometimes are they confused. A non- Writing. They're a non-writing person okay. who relays notes from the studio slash oh. production entity because mm-hmm. I get confused sometimes about you know who's the studio and where's the BBC coming and all of this yeah. or you know whatever. But any, the point is that 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 person relays notes to the lead writer and the writer's staff, okay. which then the lead writer is supposed to adhere to, and that person does not aspire to be a writer. Hmm. They aspire to be a producer, which tells you a lot about how power is perceived mm-hmm. over there. And I, I, I don't pretend to understand it fully, but I, when I, we were trying to hire a writer's assistant for, um, for Killing Eve in the third season. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne had been working on uh, Fear the Walking Dead. So yeah. she, she was very inculcated in the American system. So this was all news to her, too. So we're interviewing these people, and they're explaining what they would do. And then we'll go and we'll give you your notes. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What? Hmm. You know, because um, we were interviewing script editors. And neither of us really understood what it was. And when they finally said, yeah, we go back and we talk to the studio. And then we'll bring their notes through and they'll give you your notes. Really? 
I said, so I get it. I said, so you're a spy. That's what you are. <laughs> and the, the person I was talking to didn't appreciate that. But, but, but I thought it was so odd uh, because everybody in this country who's a writer's assistant. Works for uh, you. Right. And they want to be writers. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what they aspire to be. In fact, to the point that a writer's assistant is now viewed as kind of the first rung on the staffing ladder. Yep. And uh, I talk so about they that. They get a script mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And... Um, uh, which is not the way it was when I came in, but it's sure. something I've had to learn to, to uh, n not just accept, but to embrace in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so, th so that is definitely a difference is that, okay. and, and it speaks to uh, uh, a, a, how media was developed in the UK and elsewhere. And also a cultural thing that out here in America, it was always private enterprise, uh, very wild west capitalist ethos if you can carry the w water you got the job right. and nobody cares who you are where you're from necessarily mm -hmm. that might help open some doors but when you walk through them you better be able to do the work and uh and so i, I don't get a sense of uh in this country nearly that there's any kind of class system at work when it comes to who gives notes and who gets to do our shows it's very different over there i think it's changing i think a lot of uh, very courageous people are helping change it but there's no denying that there was a very strong oxbridge accent to uh, what was going on with the bbc and elsewhere and 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 that i don't care if it's a female or male executive there was a lot of paternalism directed towards the writer as uh, emma frost a wonderful writer and producer who um, who's from the uk but also went through the show in her training program she did the white princess oh yeah yeah yeah. This, oh, yeah i've met yeah, her a couple yeah, times yeah, yeah. and uh, or the white queen and the spanish whatever it was spanish princess, right? white queen spanish spanish princess. Princess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean she said that what they do is you turn in the script and then they pat you on the head and they say you guys go back to the sandbox now you mm. go back and play and let the adults now take it from here wow. and uh and and i've had that uh image um uh, reinforced by a number of people over there that that's not that's not an exaggeration that there's really a very paternalistic were, were attitude. You, were you able to incorporate any of the things that you do, um, or, or help not, to help not, help change their not necessarily? I, I, I'd like system, to say I'd like to say yes, but um, <laughs> because I think that intentions were good at the beginning. They said right. we want to make it more of a hybrid system, okay. but it it. Uh, uh, it just didn't work. It's like trying to say, yeah, we want to make the stick shift work like an automatic, <laughs> but we're not changing the gearing. Right. I'm thinking oh, you, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I found myself in the position of doing was I, because I, I had Suzanne and I had talked to Sandra Oh, who's marvelous and, and but had been con concerned about late scripts and mm -hmm. conditions she worked on. I said, no, we're going to get the scripts out on time because yeah. I thought we have enough time that we can do that. And but as it turned out. The studio just kept not approving story ideas, and so um, uh, they were operating under their own um, their own habits and customs, mm -hmm. and it put us behind. And I kept having to tear up and rewrite the uh, the the schedule mm -hmm. uh, because we could not get out of the gate. And um, like I said, I think everybody started with the best of intentions, mm -hmm. but in the end, um, I felt it was a situation where uh, Suzanne and I were being held accountable for things for which we weren't responsible mm. and that's a very yep. tough position to be mm. in mm. um mm. and uh so i just felt we were held back for uh, because we, we, did, we did, whatever it was it didn't quite gel now we had a great season uh, i think it turned out fine um we were still nominated for several emmys right, and, right. including best series so we didn't drop the baton no. but i will say it was the only time in my entire career that uh, a production i was responsible for shut down 
Hmm. We finally ran out of material in the last block of two episodes and had to, we wanted to be done with filming before Christmas and we had to take that break and then finish up okay. uh, in January. And uh, our last night was at Liverpool Street Station hmm. and uh, we finished it like four or five in the morning because we had to have wow. that place cleaned out and yeah. I got on a plane the next day and then I came back and started to write the book but uh, <laughs> uh, but, but but you know to be clear I mean my experience there I'm, I'm really grateful I had the experience and and the lesson you got uh, to sneak away to see your grandkids yeah well I felt yeah as I say I felt like the world's <laughs> oldest grad student with money you know it was it was wonderful but uh but the lesson isn't isn't about personalities. It's about systems and institutions and cultural attitudes. Right. That's really what the lesson was. And there was just too much of a collision between what Suzanne and I brought in terms of expectation and what the studio uh, and people responsible for that show uh, brought in terms of their tradition and right. their expectations. And um, like I say, in the end, we got through... Uh, and and I learned, I mean, one of the things I did learn in a positive sense is just how much a good non-writing producer can do for a show, because mm -hmm. there were some terrific people working with us. Mm -hmm. But uh, one, one small example will serve in terms of uh, just how different it is. In this country, you know, you're a showrunner, you hire the editors, they work with you, they get to know your preferences. Yep. The director comes in and does their cut. And you respect that, but they, they know that, that you have final cut on this. You still have producer cut. Right. Yeah. And sometimes a good, ed, you know, I mean, ed, editors know, for example, I think that directors often misuse music. And so often if, if, <laughs> if, if, an ed, if a director's put in a lot of music, I'll just show it to me dry. I don't want to see it mm. with music. Um, I'd rather look mm -hmm. at it first and see how the picture is working. And because uh, bad music or misplaced music or poorly chosen music, in my opinion, it, it takes me right out of it. And yeah. I say, well, let's stop. Let's start over, strip mm -hmm. it out. And so um, on Killing Eve, four directors, four different blocks of two episodes each, each hired their own editor. Really? Each hired their own editor. And Suzanne and I literally never set foot in an editing What? Bed. Yeah. Well, that, and so for those who work in the business that. For those of you who don't know, that's like one of your superpowers, by the way. <laughs> right. Like, that's crazy. So, so that was, you know, and that was just the way it was. And, and wow. like, you know, you. I learned not not to take it personally. That was just the way they were going to do it, and so that's so different than than what our expectations have been, and what I also think is best for the show. But um, but that's a different conversation. Cool. So 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 I'm just curious because it's like you know, there's been a lot of talk since we're on the strike about that. When we come back, there's going to be less shows. There's all this. There's been talk all weekend about... Um, this is dropping tomorrow, by the way, Jeff. Yeah, yeah there's just talk all this weekend about the... the so right now, and, is, and who knows if it's true or not, but they're in the room, they're there with the attorneys, <laughs> they're hammering out the language. As we speak. And there's this fight for what is head writer, what is showrunner, because it's, it's not in the, the NBA right now. They're trying to figure out what that is. And a lot of people, you know, that I've, you know, like, talked to... Have who have been on shows by like Disney, Marvel kind of thing, their Disney Plus stuff, where the writers that they feel the, that the the model they want to follow is the model in the UK. They keep talking about that in terms of like you know to 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 you know to take the power away from the showrunner, mm -hmm. you know. And I f and it's like that seems like a weird 
play because then they got to give it to somebody, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, are they giving it to the director? Sure, but does the director know the story the same way? Yeah, and, I mean, it, it, it is one of the problems is, is in many cases it's comparing apples and oranges depending on which studio you're talking about, which project you're talking Because mm-hmm. I know at Marvel, even I have a, a couple friends who are running a show for them that they're actually called the showrunners. Now, that doesn't mean, at the same time, in the writer's room are two non-writing producers all the time right. from Marvel. Mm. And so it's it's not the same degree of freedom or autonomy that, that, that these writers are used to on a cable show or, or broadcast show. But it is a step in a different direction than you think with Marvel, where they would right. inter- introduce the director and the lead writer at the same time. But giving Marvel its, its due... They have a huge amount of IP that's extremely valuable to them and to their viewership. Mm. So that puts them in the position of an old studio where they say, you know, we actually are the straw that stirs the drink. And if you, Chris, or you, Hilliard, want to come in and work on it, that's great. But you got to recognize you're working for us in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. And if you take that job, you've got to say, yeah, I didn't come in here and, you know, I didn't create this IP. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and hopefully you're a fan. So you say, I love working on this. I love this material. And so this is an opportunity for me um, and in some ways a privilege for me. That's Marvel. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and we're not going to change that, you know. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, perhaps that's Disney in a little bit of ways. But when you mention this on a generic or, or broad basis, it just doesn't apply, you know. And so one of the problems that our leadership has, and I've had great faith in our leadership mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. nothing but praise for the way they've handled things, um, is how do you accommodate all these different situations? Because you're not going to get a Marvel to agree to uh, certain things that you might that a broadcast company would say, of course, that's the way it's always been. We don't mm-hmm. even have to talk about this. Right. I mean, the fact is what we discovered with this negotiation is that there's never been anything about writers necessarily being on a show or a writer's room of any kind because it was just assumed. Mm-hmm. And, and now you can't assume that anymore. And then what our leadership has told us is that in the absence of an assumption, the one thing you know for sure is that studios will always go to the lowest right. common denominator. They'll always take the minimal uh, route if, right. if they can. And that's what some of this is about. But also in terms of show running, it's not an official term. It doesn't appear anywhere. Uh, except in the showrunner training program and any kind of writers guild official, uh, yeah, they were, were were they just executive producers at one point? Or? Well, we still are, you know, because the 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 complicated situation is that it goes back to what I said before. We're writers, we're labor and management, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we're a writers guild. Right. We are a union, and uh, of, of about writers, and there are responsibilities for showrunners. And I'm not letting anything out of the bag here that people don't know, but it is it, 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 that that are managerial. They are producing responsibilities, and that is not within the jurisdiction right. of the Writers Guild, which is why we have 14K provisions uh, in our pay, so mm-hmm. that so that when we negotiate, there's a certain amount of money that's attributed to our writing, and there's a certain amount that's attributed to our producing. Right. Um, and uh, that's why um, show running can't. I don't think ever under the current context I'd be recognized as a separate function because it, there's an inherent contradiction there when you're represented by a writer's guilt. Right. And uh, God forbid I've let anything out of the bag that people didn't know. I mean, this has been known. No, it, no. It, it, it's, 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 and it, it's just, it's just one of the interesting aspects of show running. And, um, but it, uh, it somewhat limits our ability. I remember the director's guild has a booklet of director's rights that they negotiate. And it's very important that showrunners and other writers look at that document because it's very clear and it's well done and there's things in there that, that 
that all writers should know about how to treat directors, not just with respect, but also what you could be grieved for if you don't follow them. Right. But they're both important. And in the showrunner program, I remember some folks said, well, why don't we have that for showrunners? Why don't we have into the, into the mic? Sorry. Why don't we have uh, Why don't we have the showrunner uh, kind of d- directory of rights? And I said it, it's the same reason. It's because we can't. I mean, it's just there's no way to protect that because we're not even a legal uh, entity. Right. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Yes. I mean, you know, like I'm on the strike compliance committee, right? And there's a strike work compliance committee, and there's a lot of. Um, Tips that would come in about what certain writers were doing on shows, and it was you know there's there's there was a list of uh, things that were like I'm gonna say it was like there's certain producer duties that would that would, that would overlap like hey this is what you can do this is what you can't do this is and and also people who are hyphen it's like what could they do what could they because like there's that there's those certain uh, like you said there's certain job uh, responsibilities that are that are not what the writer does, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that, it was, it was kind of eye-opening to me to see what we were able to, you know, and the, and the people who give tips don't know, you know, because they're not reading the NBA, they don't know what all this stuff right. is. They just go, so-and-so is doing something. They're like, hold on, wait a minute, we, we, we're, we're aware of what you can and can't do. Exactly. Um, but it's interesting to see because I think there's a lot of people who feel there, and I just think this has to do with maybe the last five or ten, at least the last t- probably ten years of the business, how the showrunner has been has been raised to this exalted position you know that and well, you recognize them now on the yeah, street you recognize them on the street <laughs> like you said before like J.J. Abrams like a exactly. sub book this is J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. you know not necessarily uh, something else and so so I feel like there's a like, it's just there's just a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about what like like what our jobs are supposed to be and what we can do and what we can't do and what and what we should be doing. You know, I mean, I think there was a something I was. I, there's so many highlights in the book that I have, but you said something interesting about like, look, you know, like don't read deadline. You know, like don't worry with the trades. <laughs> just just do your job, do what you can control. And I feel like that's a a, a really great you know point of view to look at what things you know there's various writers at various levels you know if you're if you're starting off and you want to break in if you're into the lower levels if you're kind of in the mid-range there's a lot of things that are beyond your control and you really got to just focus on what you can do you know um yeah, I mentioned that it's it's a rookie mistake, but I think it's something we have to remind ourselves of: uh, is reading show business backwards. You mm. know, uh, you're here because of the show. The business follows because of the show that you're able to do, which is your writing and whatever you can bring to bear creatively. Which isn't to say you shouldn't be as educated about the business as possible. But at the point of what you think it's all about the connections you make and the deals that you make, and you lose sight of the fact that that's the show that earns your place at the table, then I think you're lost. And, yeah. and that's one of the hazards of reading the trades. Is getting so involved in what I think are often just the best pieces of creative writing that you see, these deals, you know, and mm-hmm. if you look at them closely, that's if this, if this, if that, you know, but, um, but I, you know, in some ways, I think the trades are designed to make you feel bad about yourself, you know, <laughs> that uh, there's always somebody who's going to be doing better and, and younger and make more well, money, and, I mean, and, and it's, it's just, it, it, I'm not sure how it helps you to know those things, and, 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 and if you have a good agent or a good manager, they're the ones who are trying to stay on top of the business, but in the last five years, the business has gone so so haywire, you know as much as anybody else, mm-hmm. you know, I think. And, and and to put too much faith in somebody else telling you where the business is, um, 
I, I think is a mistake. The, so the, as you say, Chris, the one thing you control is your writing, is your creative output. And then beyond that, also how you treat other people. Too, yeah. You know, yeah. there's 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 two things I want to be maybe three. I know you got to go soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's 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 a I just want to ask you about I just it was one of my favorite segments. <laughs> the six rules. Right. Uh, of making a television writer. Um <laughs> I love it because it's very, uh, I don't want to have a tongue in cheek, but you're, you're talking to us in a cool way. But that goes into what you were talking about, Chris, earlier, that you keep hearing his voice. Oh, yeah. You keep hearing him yeah. talk. Because oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, he, he said that interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. see what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just talk about, I don't know if you know him by heart, but uh, talk about him a little bit, the ones you know that are on the top of your, your brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, people do like lists. And I thought, you know, beginning what goes into being a, a TV writer, I, I came up with my own. I think the first one is, you know, love TV and film right. with, uh, with a passion. And uh, you've got to have that passion because that's the only thing that's going to get you through. Uh, read a lot of stuff. And don't just read scripts. Uh, but you, and more importantly, even reading how to write, although there's some good books about that, is you read a lot of scripts, read poetry, read journalism, read right. nonfiction, read all that stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember what, the, what, what order necessarily, but I know another one was uh, do theater. Because uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think theater is, mm-hmm. is, is hugely important. Uh, in terms of understanding the, just the bare bones of what drama and comedy are oh, about. Oh, just you for a second. I mean, for people who don't know, if you're on like a multicam show, if that's what you're striving to do. It's fairy theater. That is doing a th- like mm-hmm. a play every week. Yep. It real. I mean, I remember I, I did that one time for, uh, for shadowing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. Y'all are like having to learn this now, yep. you know, and then do it and, sh- and shoot it. And they shoot it all. You know, it's such a, it's such a, uh, yeah, it's such a interesting way to do that. And I think that you would get a different level, uh, you know, I think those shows, sitcoms get, there's a knock on them in a certain way in the last five or ten years but when you see how it's done the craft is really from everyone top Mm -hmm. down it's like whoa you guys are really on your game but that's not you mentioned that's not your thing right but yeah and then then another one is right you know uh it may seem (laughs) obvious but a lot of people uh a lot of people say they want to write and want to be writers but there's no substitute for actually a lot of ideas yeah (laughs) you got to sit down and do the work and 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 that's you know it's surprising how many people wash out at that level Right. You know, it's uh, so. So that's that's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, because you had a great point about that. It's like, and, and I've mentioned this a lot. It's like there's a gap between what's in your what you want to say and what you say, and that only gets smaller by the more you write. That's right. You know? Yeah. So and, you gotta and, and you gotta be hard on your stuff. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like Hemingway said, every writer needs a built-in and indestructible uh, shit detector, you know, <laughs> and um, it, it's important that you you develop that. And that's hard. It takes maturity mm-hmm. to do that. Then another thing that's, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily controversial, but people might not agree with it, is that major in liberal arts. You know, I, I believe very strongly yep. uh, in the liberal arts and the humanities and getting as broad an education as possible mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to majoring in film or theater or whatever while you're an undergrad now mm-hmm. that may seem counterintuitive but my feeling is there's so much training that we get um on the job mm-hmm. um that uh, i mean the well you're going to fill the well in college and you don't always get the opportunity to fill it uh, once you're beyond that because you're too much involved with trying to make a living so that's 
you know, I... It's not like you're just saying live your life. Like, the more experiences you have, you know what I mean? I think so. I mean, yeah. and, and, and like I say in the book, I'm drawn to people who don't come to Hollywood right away. And which might seem a little ironic because I, I, I teach at SC, although a number of my students uh, at the graduate level... Mm-hmm. Um, They've they've had experience out there. Right. They've they've they come back, and uh, um, I just think it it again. There's a there's a chapter in there, and it's, there's something I never seen anybody talk about this in a book, which is timing. When when and how do you make the transition mm-hmm. to to Hollywood to television? And I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, it's um, important because if you come too soon, <clears throat> you know, again, is the town the like like part of Hollywood is the is the is the just propaganda of what it is and and. and and show you the outliers, you mm-hmm. know, and, and there is the outlier. I mean, like, we know J.J. Abrams, you know, Scott Alexander, like, sold scripts in their early 20s, you know. Mm-hmm. That's so rare. That's, that it's... And J.J.'s dad was in the business. Yeah, J.J. Right. Now, that's not, that, that in no way uh, explains his brilliance and his success. But it does say, well, he had a leg up. I mean, right. his, his learning curve had a certain level of introduction there. Um, but without his brilliance and his drive, you wouldn't have filled it. But that was his path. And there's other people who don't know his soul. Right. And, th- and that gets to my sixth rule, which is have an unhappy childhood. Yes. Uh, That's yes. the one. That's <laughs> the yes. Yes. I broke out laughing. Yeah, I was laughing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we're all walking wounded out there. Nobody becomes a writer necessarily because you're well-adjusted. Yep. Um, you know, we all are out here trying to... Uh, prove or protest something or mm-hmm. I mean there's got to be this drive and it's often from a hurt or some perceived hurt or some injustice or something that's going to drive you and, and sustain you and you know I say it a bit tongue-in-cheek but as, as I imply in the book I had a, 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 a I had a struggle with my dad growing up I mean mm-hmm. that was my formative relationship <laughs> and uh, um, uh and he was a very talented guy, and that was part of the problem. But because he was also very narcissistic, and when you, and you grow up in that kind of orbit, it, you 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 either succumb or you try to fight and get free, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, that was part of my personal story. But it's funny because Paris Barkley, mm-hmm. who's a, a college classmate of mine, as well as a, a, a you know, I was a, the best a, man at their wedding, right? I did not know that his husband is husband is my best friend. Oh wow! Since I was a kid, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So I mean, he was his talent was evident back then, mm-hmm. and and uh, we're good friends. Friends and he's right. instructed at the at the program and he's the former head of the DGA mm-hmm. and uh, and he's the one who initially said to me you know I think that uh, people come here to find their second family mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that even yeah. if you had a happy uh, upbringing uh, if you're drawn to this field um, you're, you're looking for mates you're looking for company right. you're looking for people that you who have similar goals and and uh, and make you feel comfortable with what you want and, uh, and what you're doing. And, and that can have, uh, and I didn't go into this in the book because, I, again, I, I, I am an upbeat person and I, and I want to encourage. It can have a negative side because shows can become so important to you as a family and all shows end. And so unless you have some sort of uh, family system, belief system, something to sustain you when you're not working, mm-hmm. it can be crushing when a show ends. Uh, that's the flip side of it. But on the whole, I think a lot of people form those friendships and they can, those ties can, can, can sustain you yeah. during the... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because like I had a really, um, 
um, unusual experience on Star Trek. You know, like the show ran for for me, it was sixty weeks straight. Correct. You know, wow. and and it was two seasons back to back. I mean, and you yeah, know, he was hardly here at all. Was, I mean, it, and the, and I mean, and there was no hiatus, nothing. Because mm-hmm. of all, we were doing a pandemic, so all this it was very insular because of all. So that's this. why you weren't at the writers' education <laughs> committee. Okay, <laughs> so crazy, so crazy. But you know. Um, but the times we've gotten together after the show has been really interesting because it's sort of like, okay, you know, this eight of us went through this baptism of fire kind of thing or walked through hell because it was so complicated. Um, and it, and you just kind of like, and, and, you, and you talk about so much about your lives when you're there, you know, and then it just kept going on and on. And there'd be days when we were like, you know, we you know, sometimes two, three days a week where, where we wouldn't know where we could go yet. And we would just come into the room and just talk, you know, and it was so I, I get that, you know, and yeah, then, it, it is it is it is like combat in that way, but yeah. also very much like what happens when the war is over. Right. Um, then what do you do? You yeah. know, and and uh, it reminds me when I was a I was a journalist for seven years before I started doing this and talking to a cop. And this is an expression that wasn't original to him because uh, I've heard it elsewhere since then. But he said, you know, there's only two people I trust in my life my wife and my partner and I'm not too sure about my wife and uh, 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 just to emphasize that when you form those bonds under pressure right. doing a job that's not understood by a lot of people um, those bonds become very strong mm-hmm. but, but like I said with, with, like with, with war veterans it's like you see each other from afar once you're back home right. and you're stateside um, it'll never quite be the same no you no, know? no. And, uh, um, two, two last things that I said there were three <laughs> the last thing, the the second to the last thing I want to talk to you about is I can't have you on the show without talking about a little bit of pre-production and then of course post-production. Okay. Cuz these are my, two of my favorite areas um and especially when I'm in a room with you and hearing how you uh uh how you break the, how you break it down, how you see it, how to simplify things, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to get a little bit. It's all in the book. So please get the book. But while we got him on the mic, I at least got to let you talk about a little bit. Well, prep when you're talking about once the script is written, and then yeah, I mean to me that is a it, I, I used to kind of dread it, and then I began to look forward to it right. because what happens is you write this script, you pour all your energy into it, and then and then your line producer says, "Great script, you're a day over and you know four hundred thousand over budget," <laughs> exactly. and that's what begins what I call the horse trading. You know, okay, so how are we going to get it down on time and on budget? And it's. Uh, that's where the the discipline, the fun, and saying, um, how can I drill down on this? What's important in the script? What's really important? And uh, can we combine these things? And you'll get questions about, you know, you, you, you know, we've got this scene in a church, and then you want to have a restaurant where there's a coffee shop next to the church. Will that work? Well, yeah. maybe it will, maybe it won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's funny, Matt Nix tells a story about how he got the cred to become the showrunner of Burn Notice because he was a raw writer with no TV experience per se. He mm-hmm. had some production experience. But on the pilot script, they had difficulty uh, figuring out how to get it shrunk, shrink it to the right number of days. Mm-hmm. And um, he recognized that if he didn't come up with something, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they were going to remove him because they were shooting <laughs> in Florida. And so he came up with an idea, and I forget exactly, he, he'd have to be the one to tell you, and he's, he's great at telling these stories, but he, he came up with a solution on, uh, on the page where he, all he was trying to do was cut down um, the script any way he could. He had no idea what the implications were. And, and so he turns, in, he turns in this idea, we can, we can get rid of that scene, and they said, you've just 
cut a day out of our schedule mm. because now we don't have to do this. We can do this here, this here. And he says, I, you know, and he said, exactly right. You know, he, did, he took the credit for knowing what he stumbled into was by making that one change. Mm-hmm. They were able to make the show on the schedule that they had planned. And that gave him the authority to stay with the show. And they started did, depending on him. Yeah. Right? And then he did a brilliant job. But I mean, he really had to self-educate a lot about mm-hmm. what went into it. Um, those are the types of things that are fun and, and uh, the, the longest running show I worked on the show I worked on the longest was Army Wives and mm-hmm. by the time we got into I worked on the first season uh, episode came in on episode two and then got them through the uh, uh, the first season and then I left because I, I got into a genuine a genuine <laughs> creative disagreement with the creator okay. who had done a great job of recreating that show but by the time we were through with that season she wanted to end it in a way that I didn't think was in the best interest of the show but I also had told her when I first met her, I said, I'm not here to replace you. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to take your show away. Right. And so now that I had a different idea, I wasn't going to change my tune. I went to the executives at Lifetime and I said, look, I, I just disagree strongly with where she's going, but I'd stay, if, you know, if I were you, I'd stay with her. She's the one who created the show. And they said, that's, that's the right thing to do. And, and, and they agreed. And, uh, uh, we parted in good company. And then I went off and I, I taught, that was during our last strike. I actually had a job teaching for a semester at Harvard. And then right when that was over, the strike was ended and they produced the second season of the show and they'd fired three showrunners, including <laughs> uh, the, the creator. And so I came back and then I was on the show until the end uh, of episode of season seven. Right. So during that time, I had a chance to um, do a little bit of shuffling with personnel. And by the year three or four, I had the team in place that I wanted. And it was a dream. I had a director producer I'd known for years. And uh, I had a line producer that was just fantastic, Barbara D'Alessandro. And uh, and John Kretschmer was my uh, director producer. Mm -hmm. And just to tell you how far back that goes, our folks knew each other when they were growing up. So um, (laughs) and we went to summer camp together. Um, So in Wisconsin. But uh, but Barbara, I would we, we shot in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, uh, but we did the uh, writing in the post at Raleigh Studios opposite Paramount. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and so I live in Brentwood, and I would get in my car around 7.30 in the morning, maybe a little earlier, sometimes later, and I'd call Barbara because they were already at 10.30 in Charleston, mm-hmm. and we'd talk. And by the time, and we wouldn't stop talking until I pulled into pulled my into place rally. And every day started like that, and That's it good. was fantastic. I mean, it was, um, and, it, and she could always tell when I was driving through Beverly Hills because I'd lose her for a second. There's one little <laughs> section of Beverly Hills where it would drop out. And, and that was, um, because there was such trust involved, uh, that, that was extraordinarily useful. And um, another thing I learned, because... Uh, as you know, Hilliard, I mean, I, I, can, I, I don't think of myself necessarily as a curmudgeon, but I am old. <laughs> and, and so there are certain things that I grew up with. I didn't grow up with writer's assistants in the room. Right. And so and having been a journalist for seven years, I said, well, what, why should we have somebody taking notes? You know, we, we should take our own notes. You know, and if you can't remember what story we're working on and what are you doing in the room? And, and Everybody's got their books. Uh, right, right, right. And increasingly, increasingly, uh, you know, people are looking at me like you're out of step. And so I thought, OK. Uh, and actually, Chris Kaiser. Um, told me about a writer's assistant that he said this guy is great and if you hire this guy you'll see how important it is and that was Rob Foreman who was just oh, yeah. elected mm-hmm. to the writer's He was going to come today but it's uh, in the Jewish holidays yeah, that we get not Right. <laughs> so um, anyway he did a great job and I said okay this is how can I use this because I didn't need it because I mean one of the things for better or for worse is I do 
take my own notes and I also have a good memory. And so I'm always keeping track of what's going on. And uh, But I sent the notes to the line producer uh, and to the director producer, to Barbara, so they could troubleshoot things or anticipate things and say, oh, you really want to use the Charleston Air Force Base for this episode because we right. need six weeks to clear that mm. with the Army. And... Um, uh, when we say yes we have to commit or they say oh you're, you really want to do something an underwater sequence and I said yeah I know that's crazy and then somebody could say well actually there's a tank right. you know 10 miles away that we mm-hmm. can use and uh, or they'll say no we can't do that mm-hmm. forget it you know and mm-hmm. so that was very useful so those are a couple things about prep but I, I think that prep you have to embrace that as a way to make the show better it's, it's, it's part of the I, I think part of the beauty of television is the art of what's possible right. and you learn um you know what's important to you and what's not in a script, and uh, and you have to do trade-offs sometimes. You yeah. know, it's it's again using the military thing. Frederick the Great said to defend everything is to defend nothing. Yep. You can't use you don't have unlimited resources. Right. And uh, you know one of the stories that that John Kretschmer told me because he had been a first AD on Jurassic Park. He had gone through the Directors Guild program, which is okay. how I n- knew about it. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was a reporter in Florida, I covered shooting Jaws 2 in Navarre Beach and John was the first AD did you know Zwark on that <laughs> so right. I mean so it, it, these things all interconnect I mean if you live long enough good things happen yeah. you know yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but he tells a story about in the first Jurassic Park there's a scene with the ailing triceratops and it, the, the, the actual dinosaur wasn't working terribly well mm. and they were beginning to lose the light and John had to tell Spielberg that we're going to lose the light and, and he thought that Spielberg being Spielberg would say fine we'll come back tomorrow yeah. instead Spielberg thought about it for a second and said, okay, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll shoot this over the angle, we'll get out. And he readjusted his shooting shot list and adjusted. And that impressed John, it impressed me. You mm-hmm. know, it said, you can't always get everything that you want and you know how to get the most out of it. So that to me is prep. You know, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's just great. Yeah, there was it. an interesting thing when we were doing Equalizer. They, um, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, I think seven, oh no, it was... It was my episode. They episode changed. Yeah, seven, right? no, eight. They eight, came, nine. Right. They came in okay. and they said, right, right when I was already done the outline, was and it was on script. Or they came in and they said, um, we like uh, so going forward. It's nine days we got, so it's it's five days in our sets and and four, four, and four days out. Right. You know, and it was and so we had a swing set, so it was like you know you. So then you had to kind of think about how to write the episode to to, to solve that mm-hmm. thing. Like, okay, if we got the swing set, then we can do a lot of we can redress and all this kind of stuff. But you're right. But we had to think about. There was two scenes where it was like there's some place there was a, a pizza place and then this. Um, this, like the container, the shipping container. No, the piece, there was a pizza place, and then that the, there was a where they were holding someone, and there was a place where they were gonna um, that the that the robbers were doing their uh, planning, and then and when and the director was like, well, they're right next to each other, or they like across the street. Is the way that you can change the pizza place, bring it up, and I was like, okay, we got to do all this, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that level of. Um, like you said, the trade off, like your horse trading, like what works and, and how do you change it. And you sometimes have to make those changes. Um, I mean, like the scene might have changed completely in terms of what the location, but you know, but you know that you got to keep the essence of it, you know. And that's a, I mean, it's a skill that I was lucky to get, you know, on, on both the shows. And I feel like we talked about this a little bit is that when you don't, if you're in these mini rooms, then you, you know, then that disappears. You yeah, know? I mean, Craig C. Bell's who's a, been an instructor. He worked with Matt on the burn notice and as a writer and director in his, in his own right, uh, gives an example where there was a sequence in burn notice where 
folks were running through the woods, the snowy woods at night, mm-hmm. and um, and they're shooting in Miami. <laughs> so <laughs> he had to say to Matt, "What's important? Is it what's least important, uh, and what's most important? Is it the snow? Is it the running? What is it? Night? And what came back was night's important, snow's important, the running's not important. So they said, "Good, we can do that on a soundstage." Mm. So they got rid of the running component, and we're able to shoot the scene. And that kind of, I mean, to me, that that's just kind of endlessly thrilling and fun for me. I mean, I like, I like to. I'm a crossword guy. I love puzzles. And to me, you and that, Craig Mason, right? <laughs> that, 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 I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh God, he's so into. And and that, and that's the challenge of both prep and we move into post because post and i use this example in in the book it's it's kind of like that scene in apollo 13 where the guys are stranded up in space Mm -hmm. and they're running out of air and they're inside the module and they realize that um, on the ground that they got to find a way to jury rig a system so the team of engineers on the ground dump some stuff onto a table which is all the stuff that they've got up in the the capsule and he says okay our job is to make this fit into this using only that and uh, I thought that's the way it feels in post it's it's like okay the answer's there Mm -hmm. you've just got to find it and um Again, if you if you look at those things as a as a creative challenge as opposed to something that's uh, an insolvable problem, I mean, I think that's I think you've got to if you're going to do the job. Right. You know, you've got to look at that as something that's part of the job. And 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 as and as your experience, um, te- you know, is a testament to Chris. You know, you learn more, you learn to be more flexible and more fluid, and you learn when you dig in your heels, and 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 when you can let things go. You know, you choose which hill you want to die on. You know? Let me just ask you this. Being all the shows you've been on, how has it been since Remington Steel? What was that, 81, 80? 82, yeah, Jesus for me. Christ. Yeah. How has it been that long and we still don't have it? Now, I know we're looking at changing it now that writers don't get paid for post. How is that possible what? on a TV show? I mean, it's crazy. That we don't get paid for to, to go produce your, I mean, to produce the, um, the post part of it all. You don't get paid during that time. Well, I mean, when I came up in the business, the part of your episodic fee figured that you'd be around, you know, through that. Right. I mean, and and when you're oh, that's right, it was extended back then. Now it's like got right, it, got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So right. so you know, you'd get a hefty episodic fee, and then mm-hmm. you know, you were you were lucky if you were allowed to stick. I mean, you know, if you could stick around and watch all the what goes on. And, and as a as a showrunner. Um, Part of the reason they paid you all the money was, A, they expect you to do a lot of rewriting and not take credit for it. Hmm. And, B, they expect you to shepherd everything through post. That right. was part of the job. And so um, back in, 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 in those golden days in terms of uh, working conditions, I, I don't remember anybody ever complaining about span or not being paid for the job that they were doing. Um, n- now it's a different story. And, and then maybe a different argument if you want to segment somehow the way they're being paid. Um, you know, I, I just think that writers should be paid, they should be retained through the end of whatever's a logical period into post. If, yeah. you know, if you wrote episode six, you should be able to hang on until six is posted. You Agreed. Know? So. That makes sense. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Uncle Jeff. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Melvin, everybody running the show. Make sure you guys go get that book. 
There'll be a link uh, in the show notes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> are you are you on uh, outside of Facebook? Are you on anything else? Uh, Instagram. You know. All right. What, I, what's your handle? It's 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 Jay Melvoin. I also got Jeff Melvoin, but um, so far I haven't quite figured out how to split the difference. <laughs> so so Jay Melvoin, I think, is the way. But uh, but I am on Facebook and uh, uh, and I do have a website that's under construction. Um, it's it's up, but it okay. uh, it's gonna it's gonna be fancier. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks, I hope. And where awesome. can people buy the book? Um, I encourage people to buy the book at, at, at their independent bookseller. But I got to say, it's it's available on Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon. It's been a bestseller uh, in Amazon in yeah. TV. Uh, the, the, the category is TV direction and production, and it keeps jumping back and forth between being top new release mm-hmm. and bestseller. And then sometimes it doesn't show up there at all. But uh, but anyway, I've been very encouraged by that and. Uh, um, so if one must deal with Amazon, and uh, and I do for quite a bit of things, my wife discourages me, but it <laughs> depends on things. Anyway, it, it's there as well. And yeah. uh, Goodreads, um, I don't think they sell it, but there's there's others I should mention. But but Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon for sure. Mm-hmm. But in in this yeah. area, where, I, where are you at with the Audible? Um, that's a very good question. Yeah. I pushed the publisher for an Audible, and it kind of fell through the cracks. Okay. And um, now they say it's back up. And uh, I thought it had been done and just not distributed. I don't think that's the case. I'm still trying to get to, to the bottom are, of that. Are you going to read it, or did you read I, it? I volunteered to read it originally. It and, and, and then they said uh, that they needed it done on a production schedule in June, and I was, out of, I was actually in uh, Italy in June. Okay. And um, so uh, I couldn't do it. But to find out that it hasn't been done now, I've reminded them I'm very happy to do you it. You have to do it. And it's so, so your voice. Oh, yeah. You totally, so, totally do. All right. Totally well, I'll put do. you in touch with the publisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll produce it. Goddamn it. Totally do it. Totally do it. What about you, Chris? Uh, you know, I'm at um, Instagram and X, as it's called <laughs> I'm at Unauthorized CBD. And I'm on Facebook, too, but... Very rarely, very very rarely. So. I can mention that I have a book signing. We did a really successful book signing at Village Well Bookstore in Culver Maria, City. Right? Yeah, wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And Maria Elena Rodriguez mm-hmm. did that. Um, I'm doing a signing at Chevalier's Books in Larchmont on November 13th, and I will be uh, interviewed by Amy Aniobi oh, okay. for that. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, and then on January 4th, we've got something set at Book Soup. Um, don't quite know what that program is yet. And then I'm still talking to other bookstores in the area, but because uh, um, Diesel's my local bookstore, but because I had a function in a neighbor's backyard, I figured I'd hit, <laughs> I'd hit Brentwood pretty well, and so I was going to leave it alone for a little while. But That's they've right. been very... Uh, supportive so that's good you know, it's a great book i mean like it's you know it's it's like i said before if it doesn't matter what your interest level is in television if you have an interest in it i mean yeah. depends on where you are you can be outsider staff writer these if you're pre-wga if you're co-producer if you're an ep you might you should read this it's yeah. got so many i just like i for like i said before it's like the institutional knowledge is that's the part is just yes. invaluable it's just invaluable and it just yeah so yeah. so read it yeah and I, i've been telling a couple of writers like the the industry has changed compared to like the whole first sequence you're talking about but that's the part you need to know because so you understand why yeah. <laughs> you know i mean that's yeah. that makes you feel so much more empowered understanding mm-hmm. what happened before you know what I mean? So well, I'm glad to hear you say that because that yes. was the rationale for yeah. that, and I, I do think that's important. I do think it's we should know our history yeah. and uh, um, and know what was possible, and, and uh, uh, because Ooh. the business is going to continue to mutate. And what's important is 
having the flexibility, understanding the principles, understanding how people have done it before, and then using your own sensibility and your sense of resourcefulness and figuring out a way to make it work. Because we're all going to have to do that. I mean, showrunners have to be much more nimble uh, and resourceful than 20 years ago. Right. But we will. Right. You know, and uh, and uh, and the guild will be there to provide all the help that it can. But but it's really on individuals <laughs> to help each other, and hopefully the book can be a, a, a help as well. Indeed, Great. it definitely is. And I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. Well, t- X, whatever. The hell. I'm not going to say X. I'm a grown ass man. I'm saying I'm not saying X. <laughs> <laughs> X at Hilliard Guest everywhere: Facebook, Instagram, uh, even Threads, which I never even really go on. Um, all that stuff. Uh, you can LinkedIn, everything. Just add Hill your guests. Um, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to. Please go on there. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, what Same else goes for the book as well, by the way. Right. What was that? <laughs> Same the goes book for the five book five on Amazon. Yeah, give the book a five-star review. Mm-mm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, what else we got, Chris? And you can support the show on at... Um, at our Patreon link, which is at screenwritersrr.com. There's also a direct link to support the show on Spotify if you're listening there. Um, or if you go to Patreon, it's patreon.com uh, backslash uh, screenwriters rant room. And you can select whatever level of support that you want to give us. You know, five million, two million. We don't ask for much. You know, <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot at all. Not a lot at all. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you guys again. Thank you, Rich, for sitting in with us, bringing us donuts and stuff. <laughs> um, you guys know how we do it on the rant room. Thank you again, Jeff. Wishing you all the best with this book. I appreciate it. For sure, for sure. Um, you guys know how we do it on The Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? 2023. 2023. Peace, y'all. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the rent room. Rant room, rant room.